and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Tonight we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. If you would like to turn in your Bibles, I would want us to look at part of the story of Jesus' suffering tonight. His crucifixion and death through an individual's eyes that is is key to the story. Uh, That's the Roman governor Pilate. A name that would have been, well let's just be honest, it would have been forgotten to history. Except that he crossed Jesus' path on Jesus' last day before his execution. The the passage of scripture that we'll be looking at tonight takes place directly after Jesus' arrest and trial before the Sanhedrin. That happened before dawn. The trial of the council of the Jewish leaders had been a sham from the start. They had arrested Jesus and they had already beaten him black and blue. But none of the testimony against Jesus would stick because the testimony just simply contradicted itself. But the Jewish council, they didn't need a trial. They had long sought to try to kill Jesus, but none of their plans would work. They would try to get crowds following Jesus riled up by trying to trap Jesus in what he said. They had hoped that they would stone Jesus for some blasphemy. The people loved Jesus, though. They had begun to think of Jesus. Maybe this could be the Messiah, they thought. So the council wanted him dead, though. And if they couldn't do it that way, and since the trial hadn't worked, this trial before dawn, they sought to have Jesus killed under another guy's Roman rule. That, that way it would appear that their hands were clean in killing Jesus. The thought was that if they could will place enough pressure on Pilate, this Roman governor, by a veiled threat of a possible riot and a public unrest, then Pilate would have killed Jesus simply, simply to keep the peace. So Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate is the judge for Jesus, and their request early that morning was to ask Pilate for Rome's blessing and authority to sentence Jesus to death By crucifixion, the official way. You need to feel the tension, though, in the air as this second trial starts. The first one had been just the Sanhedrin. They couldn't put people to death. And it didn't work. The Jewish leaders seeking Jesus' crucifixion have no love for Pilate or Rome. Israel was an occupied nation by Roman troops. And they kept a harsh rule. And Pilate was this highest ranking Roman authority in Israel as the governor. And although the Jewish leaders vehemently hated him, they were under his authority. For Pilate, well, this is a sticky situation. He understood the not-so-veiled threat that these leaders were bringing in the request to have Jesus crucified and put to death. You need to know, Pilate had already put one uh, huge revolt down just a few days before this, and it had not gone well. And it was costly in terms of money, destruction, people dying. It was very bloody. On one hand, Pilate was not afraid of these Jewish leaders, that they would overthrow him by military force. But on the other hand, 
What Pilate was afraid of is that if he handled this trial wrong, this request, especially at Passover, a riot would be breaking out and he would force to be put it, putting it down again. This time, Jewish religious leaders, and if a revolt happened, he might lose his post as governor. He might even be recalled all the way back to Rome and appear before Caesar himself. Pilate's life might be in the balance in this trial, certainly his position, certainly his career. And yet, if Pilate caved to the political pressure from the Jewish council, they would see him as weak and his power would be undermined the other way. Again, his life and position hung in the balance that way too. So, so Pilate's in a tricky situation, to put it lightly. So Pilate has this difficult balancing act. On one hand, he doesn't want to make the the superiors in Rome upset, yet he doesn't uh, want the Jewish ruling council to dictate to him what he has to do. What I want us to do for the next few minutes together is to watch Pilate in this interaction with Jesus. And I granted, this is different than you normally would hear on this night, but but I, I think it'll be insightful. Look at Luke 23. Verses 1 and 2. The whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. That's the Sanhedrin bringing him. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. And saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now you feel the tension in the air, don't you, as they open, make opening statements here. Here's Jesus standing there with his eyes probably already swelled shut with blood streaming from his nose and, and ears from being beat up. And, and this, this crowd of Jewish leaders hurling accusations, standing one, two feet from him, and Jesus is just standing there. By the way, none of the accusations, they're making it that Jesus had been part of the trial before dawn. If you read that, none of this, what they're saying now, had been part of that. Now what the Sanhedrin was accusing Jesus of was claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, which had been true. He had done that. But now the Sanhedrin was trying to say that Jesus was trying to overthrow Rome. To overthrow Roman rule. So look at verse 3. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Now in one sense, Jesus is the king of the Jews for sure. We know that. But not in the sense in which Pilate understands that title to me. So Jesus' answer here to Pilate is, it's ambiguous. He had claimed to be the Son of God in the Gospels. We've seen that, haven't we? But here, Jesus simply doesn't deny the title. And in doing that, Jesus, he distances himself from its political and militant associations with that, that title. Pilate understands right away that Jesus is No revolutionary. He's not leading some army into Jerusalem to overthrow Roman rule. So listen to Pilate's decision on the matter. Here it is in verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no fault in this man. 
Now, this is critical for us to understand. Pilate, the top legal judge in the land, says, I find no grounds for charging this man. In other words, Pilate declares Jesus innocent, at least to the charges that have been brought against Jesus by the Jewish leaders. Are you tracking? But see if you sense the political pressure that's about to go from bad to worse. From the frying pan into the fire. Look at verse 5. But they were urgent. Saying he stirs up the people. Teaching throughout all Judea. From Galilee even to this place. Well Pilate. Although in a tough spot. He sees a possible way out of this. And he takes it. Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard this. He asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Caesar um, had set this up, these different uh, areas. So cases under Roman law usually were tried in the province where the crime was committed. But it could be moved to where the province, uh, where the accused is from. So Pilate probably realized Jesus is a Galilean because they say he's been preaching there based on referring to Galilee. And since Herod was the tetriarch of Galilee, a low-level kind of king, a royal representative of Rome, of Caesar, and since Herod was in town probably only maybe 100 yards, 200 yards from this, this room, he says, I'll send him to Herod to handle it. It had been Herod, by the way, you'll remember, who is self-identified as Jewish, but he really wasn't, and he didn't really follow the law, although he claimed to. In fact, he was the one who had just put John the Baptist to death by beheading about a year and a half before this. So the Jewish leaders take Jesus to a beer before Herod. So now we're in trial number three. When Herod saw, this is in verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him, talking about Jesus, because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned, questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Now notice, Jesus doesn't make a defense at all. He knows that he is, he's got to go to the cross. That's the Father's will. He is going to save his people God has given him. So he remains silent. Now, his silence, to me when I read this, I don't know about you, it's maddening, isn't it? He's innocent. We know that. We read this and we think, speak up, Jesus, speak up. And yet he remains silent. By, by the way, Jesus' silence had been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 plus years before this, this morning trial. Isaiah 53 verse 7. Isaiah said, he, prophesying about Jesus, was oppressed and, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Now listen to these words. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Herod is the only person 
in these hours that Jesus refuses to speak to at all. Now, Herod is, he's not interested in justice. Don't get that idea. And, and when Jesus doesn't answer, even in the face of more accusations from Jewish leaders, Herod begins to make a big joke out of it. Now, this pains me, but look at this. He makes fun of Jesus' supposed kingship over the Jews. He belittles Jesus. Look at Luke 23, back to Luke verse 11. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt. And mocked him. Then arraigned him in splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate. Now hold that thought for just a moment. This is in no way just a mocking time. Like pointing fingers. The Roman soldiers take Herod's cue now. If we switch gospels here for just a moment. Matthew 27 verse 27. Displays what the soldiers the Roman soldiers do to Jesus as they take their cue from Herod and from Pilate. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. When you read reed, think of more like a stick. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They're all laughing. Verse 30 says, And then they spit on him. And they took the reed, the stick, and they struck him in the head. Now we see the Roman soldiers are brutal. One, it's a racist thing. But this is all a joke to them. You can hear them laughing, can't you? And yet, as we see them kneeling down and mocking in mock worship, the King of Kings... At that moment, he is literally holding the universe up through his own power. And they don't know that. We remember the Apostle Paul's words spoken in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Is there mocking? Think of these words. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and uh, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle Paul is alluding to the Old Testament prophecy also taken from Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22 through 23, that at the end of time, when it's all said and done, where the bowing of every knee and the confession of every tongue are directed towards the sovereign Lord, Yahweh. Because it is Yahweh who is God and he alone can save us. And yet, Jesus says, nothing. He stays silent in the face of these mockers as they beat him. Jesus is sent back to Pilate, bloody, beaten, Pitiful. Pilate is going to have to deal with this. Herod's not going to help him. Now watch. Pilate is not a good man here either. I'm not trying to say that. But what I want you to see in his actions. Because although he's already told Jesus' accusers. That he finds no fault with Jesus. They are going to press him for Jesus' crucifixion. They're not going to take no for an answer. Pilate is going to try to save Jesus from crucifixion two more times. So watch. 
Verse 13, Luke 23. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. He's restating the charges. You see that? And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him, Pilate says. Now Pilate declares Jesus innocent of any crime based on the facts and the testimony of the Jewish leaders. And that is without Jesus saying anything to defend himself. He's been found innocent all these times. And the Jewish leaders have no case, do they? And Pilate says, Herod has come to the exact same conclusion as I have. Innocent, innocent, innocent. So why is Pilate offering now to punish Jesus? Well, Pilate is no saint. He must be thinking, look, I'll beat this guy up a bit and for you guys and, and then you can leave him alone. Like that's payment enough. Like it's almost like a plea bargain in a way. Now this is the second time Pilate has declared Jesus innocent, right? And there is no charge against him warranting crucifixion. So Pilate is surely thinking, enough, enough, enough of this. But the Jewish leaders are vehement. They won't stop. They hate Jesus. Now what I want you to see here is something very supernatural. This is Satan behind this. Look at verse 18, Luke 23. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city for murder and for murder. Now we see the real hearts of these Jewish leaders here, don't we? They ask for Barabbas to be released, who is in prison for that insurrection that probably just happened. And murder. He's not just a murder of one guy. He's probably caused the death of many. Now Barabbas is in prison. Guilty of, watch, the exact same crimes that these Jewish leaders are accusing Jesus of. Of insurrection. Of trying to overthrow Roman rule. Do you see that? They ask, these Jewish leaders ask for the most guilty man in the city To be let go and then crucify the most innocent man in the city. Pilate's desperate. He doesn't know what to do. Now, one more thing has happened here that Luke does not record, but we find it in the Gospel of Matthew. Something that has happened that only Pilate knows about. No one else in the crowd knows at this point. So flip back to Matthew 27 for just a moment. Look at verse 19. While he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Got the picture? Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, as you know, when your wife sends you a note like that, you listen, don't you? You get the picture. He's on the judge's seat before this big crowd. Everyone is hanging on his every word. He pauses as an assistant, leans over and whispers in his ear, tells him the word from his wife. Pilate's wife has had this dream, but unlike dreams associated with Jesus, maybe his birth, like from the angel Gabriel, this one's a nightmare. 
A nightmare that was about to come true and it terrifies her. Now, we're not told that this is from God, this dream, but it's certainly the implication, isn't it? Pilate is shaken even more because dreams to Romans mean business. And now he has directly heard from his wife, have nothing to do. She's saying to him, step back, get out of this, whatever you do. There's something deeply evil going on behind this. Pilate has to be in a cold sweat, doesn't he? His life is on the line. Talking about spiritual battles going on. Here it is breaking out into the open. Spiritual warfare in a physical sense. Satan wants Jesus dead and he thinks he's got Jesus cornered. Satan thinks he's about to win with verse 20. Pilate addressed them back in Luke 23. Pilate addressed them once more desiring to release Jesus. But the key, they kept shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. You can kind of picture Pilate raising his hands and getting them to quiet down, can't you? And, and he questions their, their cry of crucify him. Verse 22, a third time he said to them, why? What, what, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. Three times he's tried to free Jesus at this point. And, and you see his fear growing, don't you? Pilate is about to lose control. It's about to be a riot. And the sa- at the very same time, he's just declared Jesus totally innocent of all charges. Pilate wants to let Jesus go, but he can't lose control of the crowd. Verse 23 but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And their will was to see Jesus pay for going against them. To suffer because their pride had been so bruised over these last three years. As I read this, I so want Jesus, stand up, speak up for yourself. I want him to be free. Don't you as you read this? But you see, Jesus had a purpose, didn't he? To take on his back the sins of those who would believe, the sins of the world. But he just what we just witnessed here is the official three trials Jesus went through that day. He was found not guilty. The Jewish leaders were embarrassed that they couldn't even come up with any evidence that would stick in the first trial. And when Jesus stood before Pilate and Herod, he had, he had been declared innocent by the two top Roman officials of the land. Jesus was sinless right to the end. What Satan and these Jewish leaders' purpose for evil though, listen to me. God meant for good. Only a sovereign God can do that. What people mean for evil and then use it for his good. Take the evil of this world and still use it for his providence, his plan for our lives. Well, the Romans and the Jewish leaders did take Jesus out to the place they called the skull. They crucified him there between two thieves. Some theologians, some historians believe that those two thieves Jesus was crucified between were also part of that bloody insurrection just a few days before that had been put down. If that is true, 
Barabbas had been most likely scheduled to die on the third cross that Jesus was taking. He was probably the leader. And Barabbas was free. Now, in, 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 in my prideful way of looking at this, it's easy to think that that was so wrong. It was this huge mistake, this injustice that Barabbas should have. He should have died, not Jesus. Barabbas should have died for his own sins, not the Savior. He was innocent. But when we hear the gospel message that Jesus took on his back the sins of all those that would believe in him, his Lord and Savior, I realize I'm like Barabbas. That wasn't just because Barabbas, uh, that wasn't just Barabbas's cross. That, that was my cross. It wasn't Jesus' crown of thorns. It, it was my crown of thorns. He gave me his righteousness as a crown. As the Apostle Paul was facing the very end of the, his life, he writes to Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. It's the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to also all those who loved his appearing. Christian, that's you. That's me. There is a crown of righteousness waiting for you and me in heaven. Now, that, not that we have earned it on our own by any means, but that Jesus has not only taken our sins away at the cross, he has given us his righteousness. Now think about this. Pilate had to answer the one question everyone has to answer. Is Jesus really the king of the Jews? Pilate, he didn't believe. In the end, Pilate and Herod and those Jewish leaders and even the Roman soldier that put Jesus to death Soldiers that put him to death will declare Jesus as king. He is the son of God. In the end, even they will. Not that they will be free. But even they will kneel and worship. But at that time, it will be too late for them to be saved. Who do you say Jesus is? As we come to our time of communion, to remember his death in our place, we want to take our time now and prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup. Let me ask you, is there any sin that you need to repent of? Pride? Anger? How about lust? What about lying? Have you coveted other people's homes or cars? Just examine your heart. Maybe you've coveted their wife. Or their husband. Take a moment right now to pray. Just close your eyes. If we could have the house lights go down. and Ask God to forgive you. And tell him that you repent of that sin right now. Or multiple sin. Is there any unforgiveness in your life right now? Are you holding a grudge against someone? Listen, I get it. It's hard to forgive people sometimes. Especially when they haven't sought forgiveness and may be still even sinning against you right now. But hey, don't, don't forgive because people are worthy of forgiveness. That's not why we forgive as Christians. No, Christ followers forgive because we have been 
forgiven. Do you hear me? Take just a moment now and just search your heart for any unforgiveness that you, you may be harboring. Forgive that person or persons. Turn from the sin of unforgiveness or any others. Let's just take a few moments right now. I'll give you some, some space to do that. Just pray. as we prepare to participate in this time of communion together as a family of God if you're not a baptized believer in Christ Jesus we ask that you just not take this until you have made that confession and that commitment to follow Christ however if you are a believer you've been baptized uh, we welcome you to join us as we remember his death in this meal even if this church is not your home Maybe you're just visiting. That's okay. Join us. Here's how this is going to work. There are three sections here. Here, here, and here. And if you're taking communion, the ushers will release you row by row. You'll move down to the front, these areas here, and get the elements of bread and cup. Folks in the back will begin with you in just a moment so you can be kind of getting your heart ready. You'll come down first, then as you, um, then as the row in front of you goes, then you fall in line. So kind of back row to front. Make sense? If you're not taking communion, you just stay where you are. This right section, um, the middle section, on the left side of the aisle, you'll move and go forward and you can follow them to the front and They'll return to your aisle on the outside. Does that make sense? So you guys will come like that, go like that. You'll make a big circle. You guys come down this way and they go out that way from back to front. Return to your seats. Take communion on your own or with your family. Just at your seat, be in prayer. Let's all stand together if you would. If, if you're able, listen carefully. Just A few short hours before Jesus would be betrayed by Judas, stand before Pilate and Herod on trial for his his life and beaten bloody, crucified. Jesus was in the upper room just before all of this, that night before with the 12 disciples. It says in Luke 22, verse 15, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us and calling us to life in your son, Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving us your son to take our place and for giving us his righteousness. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice for us. We didn't deserve it. But you have purchased our freedom. We look forward to drinking the wine again with you in heaven when we are all home safe. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.